The word says we're called to make disciples. We're growing in the word of God. Jesus Christ was sent to be our saviour. This is the Bromley Town Church Podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message, blessing you as you live out God's word. Stream or download other sermon podcasts via the Bromley Town Church website or by using the SoundCloud app. Head over to bromleytownchurch.com. Today, the subject is preparing for the light. Preparing for the light. We're looking at light coming into the world. Jesus is bringing that light into the world. And this morning, I'm jumping into the Gospel of Luke, and I'm looking at the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth. And I would really encourage you to go home and to read, certainly the first two chapters of Luke, which have the whole Christmas story in it, just to encourage yourself over this season. But as Luke talks about Zechariah and Elizabeth, he talks about this couple who are now older, older, they're an elderly couple, but they have a great pedigree, a great pedigree as far as Jewish people are concerned. They come from the priestly line, not just one of them, but both of them come from the priestly line of Aaron. And as they're married together, that makes them a really sort of special priestly couple. And in actual fact, Zechariah's job is that of a priest. He's called to go to the temple. The temple in Jerusalem is the place where all of the priestly activities take place. And because the people are spread out over the nation, the priests are called, and they're called for a time of duty to go to Jerusalem. And so when we're reading this story, we're reading of the time when Zechariah is called up, and it's his week of duty, if you like. I'm not actually sure quite how long it was, but it is his time of duty. And so he's gone up to Jerusalem. But he and Elizabeth, I said they were more of an elderly couple. They're a couple that have had a, a troubled past, a troubled past from the point of view that as a family, as a couple, they've never been able to have children. So what they've known is they've known barrenness. So Elizabeth is known as a barren woman. She's known as that in the town because everybody gets to hear the story. They realize they haven't had children. And so for years, because as I say, they're now old, But for years, they have been going through that situation of knowing that they've never got any children to come after them. That's been their situation. They're rather like Abraham and Sarah as far as that's concerned. And they probably look back at that story of those who've gone before in terms of Israel's history and have said, yeah, that's what it's been like for us. Except for Abraham and Sarah, God moved in and he answered for them. But for us, Zechariah and Elizabeth, it's been a challenging and tough time. But as I say, anyway, we want to pick up the story as Zechariah goes to Jerusalem and he's there leading the temple worship. And so just outside the temple, you've got worshippers gathered and they're worshipping God and now they've gone to a time of prayer. And as the worshippers are going to a time of prayer, Zechariah, at this point, he goes into the temple because as he's going into the temple to light incense on the altar of incense inside the holy place. So the worshippers are outside, he's gone in there, he's lighting this incense. And as you light incense, so you get clouds and clouds of smoke come up. And that is really representing, as it were, what our prayers are doing. They're filling the atmosphere, they're rising up to God, and God is receiving our prayers in heaven as they're being prayed. So Zechariah is in the midst of this process, there's smoke everywhere, and suddenly... Suddenly at the side of this altar, in the holy place, before Zechariah, there's an angel. An angel of God. Zechariah, he's not saying anything, but the angel says something and he says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Wow. 
<laughs> what sort of encounter is this? I, I don't know what my reaction would be, but I do know from scriptures, every time people seem to meet angels, the angel, the first thing he says is, okay, hang on, don't, don't be afraid. Relax, everybody. So he tries to do that, and certainly he said that to Zachariah. Don't be afraid because your prayer has been heard. Well, just imagine if an angel said that to you. What prayer? What prayer are we talking about? Which one? I've prayed many prayers. Was that, was that for my shopping? Was that for, for my bills to be paid? What, what was the prayer about? But then as Zechariah goes on, he says, you know, do not be afraid. And he reminds them that your wife, Elizabeth, is going to bear you a son. And I guess as soon as he heard those words, then your prayer has been answered. Oh, that prayer. That prayer. That prayer. And suddenly he's transported back into that time of that whole no baby situation. Because he, don't think, he wasn't thinking about that when he went to offer his incense. He was thinking about the job in hand. He's thinking about leading the worshippers. He's thinking about what he's going to say when he comes out. He's thinking about those things. But now he's encountered this angel. He's suddenly been taken right back to those days when he and his wife were crying and praying before God. God, please give us a child. He's taken straight back into that. He's taken straight back into those memories, those thoughts. It's almost like the whole thing comes up again. He's taken back into that time of pain and difficulty, the issue of barrenness, the confusion that comes. Why does everybody else seem to be able to fall pregnant and not me? The frustration that every month that goes past, it, no, there's nothing happened. We're not pregnant this month. That confusion, that frustration is being relived. Even the humiliation of the fact of they are known, or my wife is known, as Elizabeth the barren one. That confusion, that frustration, that humiliation probably flooded his mind at that moment. But hang on a second, this angel is saying, your wife Elizabeth is going to give birth to a son and you're going to call him John. In the midst of trying to get your head around all this stuff, you're like, Whoa, John? His name's going to be John? What? And there's this sort of sense of like, what on earth is happening? And I think that's what Zachariah must have been thinking. What's going on here? But the angel carries on. He hasn't finished. Luke 1 verse 14, the angel carries on with these words. He, this is this son that's going to be born to them, he will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. Wow. There's more and more information about the arrival of this special child that is coming to Zechariah. How wonderful to hear this. In sense, inside, he's going, hallelujah, what is going on here? But Gabriel hasn't finished, and Gabriel wants to go on and now to give specific instructions about how this baby boy, who's going to be called John, is to be raised, and things about his life. And rather than read them all out, I'm just going to summarize the things that Gabriel says. He says that this boy is going to be great in the sight of the Lord. He's not going to be allowed to drink alcoholic drinks or wine. He's to be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his birth. He is to turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. 
And it's almost like, okay, I'm done. That's what the angels come to say. He's finished his speech. He's declared to everybody what he needed to say. You know, it's funny, isn't it? Even sometimes when we're being told the complete and utter truth, sometimes we can't take it on board. Even though actually what we are being told is absolutely true, sometimes our minds are just like, what's, what's going on here? The angel is saying your wife is going to bear you a son. And Zachariah's thought processes probably are, you know, what prayer? Oh, that prayer? Hey, wait, are you kidding? Have you seen me? Have you seen how old? We're old. How is all this going to come to pass? And he, this child is going to do what? He's going to bring the Israelites back to God? How can I take hold of all things? He's going to walk in the, what? the spirit and power of Elijah, the great prophet Elijah. He's going to do what things? Hang on one moment. What is all of this that is going on? And you know what? It's strange because you think if anybody was going to be able to take on board some of this stuff, perhaps it would have been Zechariah, the, the priest of that priestly line who was going into the holy place because not many people were allowed to go in there. Surely he would have been one who has been able to take it on board. But it seems not. And we find Zechariah giving this response to the angel. Luke 1 verse 18. Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of all this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. So having heard all that story, this is his processing. This is his take on being told the absolute truth. How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel answers Zechariah, I think with a sort of incredulous tone in his voice at this stage. Don't you know who I am? And I don't think that was said with any sense of pride. Gabriel was just expressing, hey, this is who I am. I am Gabriel. I've just come from the presence of God to declare this to you. You can imagine a sort of a sense of, what? And then, I've just come from the presence of God. He who is absolutely faithful and true, he who does not change, he whose word is eternal and can be absolutely trusted, that's where I've come from, so why can't you receive what I am saying to you? And I guess the answer is simply, sometimes what people say to us is just too much for us to be able to cope with. You know, I think there are a few things, though, that we can learn just even as I interject at this point. First of all, we need to remember this. There is a spiritual realm. An angel had come to talk to Zechariah. There is a spiritual realm. We like to think of the physical realm because we can see this, we can touch this, we know that this is here. But I'm telling you, there is a spiritual realm and angels live in the spiritual realm. God is in the spiritual realm and sometimes that spiritual realm is made manifest in the physical realm. And when it does, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. The spiritual realm is where the greatest reality is 
because the spiritual realm was created first. Well, it wasn't created. It is the uncreated realm. The physical realm has been created. In the beginning, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The spiritual realm is in existence, and the physical realm is made by God. But for us who live in the physical realm, it's the primary importance. But I want to say to you, we need to remember that there is a spiritual realm. We have physical bodies, but you know what? We are spirits that are living inside a physical body. And our spirits are what needs to connect with God. And that is a spiritual connection. That's why those who worship him will worship me in spirit and in truth. A declaration of truth, but it is our spirits that are connecting to God. We need to remember that there is a spiritual realm. Secondly, we need to remember that when God speaks, he speaks the truth. He says what he means, and he means what he says. That's what God is. He says what he means, and he means what he says. He's not a man that he should lie. He tells the truth. He always speaks the truth. He's not deceitful. He doesn't lie. What he says is true and stands firm for all eternity. So when God says he loves you, he's not lying. He's telling the truth. But you see, sometimes our minds find it difficult to receive the absolute truth when it's spoken to us. So there is a spiritual realm. God speaks the truth. But thirdly as well, nothing is impossible for God. Now, that's difficult for us to get hold of. I wonder if it's difficult for us to get hold of because fundamentally we accept, sometimes not very readily, but we accept there are some things that we just can't do. You know that when you're doing a DIY thing or something like that and you realize, I really can't do this. <laughs> you have to give up. Something you just say like, okay, I need to get in somebody who does know about this. We recognize as human beings there are some things that we just can't do. Man can't fly by himself. He might be able to get in an aeroplane, but of his own back, he can't, of his own volition, he can't do it. There are things that we don't know, and so therefore, sometimes we project that same situation onto God. Well, if we can't do it, perhaps there are things for him that he can't do. Or maybe sometimes it's, a, I've prayed to God for this, and I've never seemed to have an answer. So our summary is, if I've prayed, you haven't answered, you don't exist. Or things are too difficult for you too. That's often the processes that we go through. But that's not truth. Because the truth is this. Nothing is impossible for God. And God loves to take hold of a situation of barrenness and turn it round to fruitfulness because that is what he is able to do. Nothing is impossible for God. We feel out of control sometimes. We feel confused. We feel frustrated. We feel all those sorts of things. But God is never out of control. He knows the situation. He knows the end from the beginning. So therefore, he knows exactly what is going on. We don't know the end. And so therefore, sometimes when we are facing challenges, the challenges almost seem unsurmountable. But God does know the end. And we must look to him and his strength to help us to get through the challenges that we have. Just think of this for Zachariah and Elizabeth. Let's go back to their situation of barrenness. God knew all along that he was going to give them the baby, that his name was going to be called John. And he knew that that baby was going to have a specific purpose of bringing in the way of the Lord, making the way ready for the Messiah to come. 
God always knew that, and yet God allowed them to go through years of barrenness. And all of the problems that they faced as human beings with their community of knowing that. But God knew all along what he was going to do. But they didn't understand that. Doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. Not to us. To us it's things like, why did he do that? Does God seem fair? I don't understand why God is doing this. I don't understand why he did it. But that's what he chose to do. And that's the route that he took. So Zechariah and Elizabeth had to face a long period of infertility. They had to face the heartache and all the problems that were experienced with that. They had to experience a long period of time of praying and praying and seemingly seeing their prayers unanswered. They had to go through all of those things. And you know what? When we think of those things, God still loved them, still cared for them. In fact, still loved them so much that he sent from heaven his angel to come and tell them, you are going to have a child. Nothing is impossible with God. For our own circumstances, often we can be going through difficulties, but I want to remind you of that this morning. Nothing, 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 nothing is impossible for God. I don't always know how he's going to work things out. I don't always know whether he is going to work out what your desires are, but I know that he is going to work out his plans and his purposes because his purposes never fail. Never fail. He always accomplishes what he has set out to accomplish because he is God. Our trust needs to be in him and his goodness and in what he can do. And he is caring for you. Whatever your situation is, whatever you are facing, whatever you are going through, He is with you. He is for you. He has not forgotten about you. And he wants to encourage you. Keep praying. Keep praying. Do not give up. But let's just go back to our story. Zechariah, he is saying, how can I be sure? How can I be sure? And you know what? Gabriel basically answers with this. Well, actually, you're going to have nine months to think about that, Zechariah. Because from this moment on, you're not going to be able to speak. Now, in fact, Zechariah says, because you did not believe my words, which will come true in their proper time, you are not going to be able to speak until it all happens. And with that, Zechariah can no longer speak. So he just, he only went in. I only went into the temple to burn incense. But you can imagine what the scene was when he comes out. He can't speak a word But boy, oh boy, his arms are going everywhere. His expression, he's trying to get across to them. And I think it goes on in Luke to say that they actually realize, okay, he's obviously had a vision or something. Something's happened in there. That's the the thing that the the worshippers picked up on. But you know what? How can God let all of these things happen? Perhaps we shouldn't be asking that question. Perhaps we should be asking instead, what is our respect of God? Do we understand that he is in control? You see, Zechariah in one sense was quite prideful. How can I be sure? Listen, it's important for me to understand. And God wants us to know, listen, you're not the one. I want you to understand, I want to help you. But in the end, I am God and you are the created ones. And I am working out my purposes And the purpose of the earth is that it should become the kingdom of God. That is the place where what I want, says God, actually happens. 
That's what we're seeking for. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done here on earth, even as it is in heaven, is in effect what God wants. Where is the fear of God? You know what? We need to establish the fear of God in our own lives. You would have thought that Zechariah, as a priest, would have been way up there. Hey, he's got a massive fear of God. But you see in this statement, there's also a sense in which he's got a lot of pride. Hey, listen, if I don't understand, it's not good enough. Listen, let God be God and let us humble ourselves beneath him. We need to have a fear of the Lord. Psalm 36 verses 1 and 2 talk about the fear of the Lord. And the psalmist says this, I have a message from God in my heart concerning the sinfulness of the wicked. There is no fear of God before their eyes. In their own eyes, they flatter themselves too much to detect or hate their sin. Now, of course, we read that and we might say, well, that's the wicked. (laughs) Of course, we're not wicked. But you see, do you understand what wickedness is? Wickedness in its very simple form is this. It's simply not doing the things that God wants us to do. That's wickedness. So every time we're doing things that God doesn't want us to do, that is a rise of wickedness. Whereas we think of all oh, sin. Well, sin is disobeying God. Wickedness. And it says that of the wicked, there is no fear of God before their eyes. They flatter themselves too much. And there is a sense in which I think Zechariah was flattering himself. The fear of the Lord is good. Moses said to the children of Israel in Exodus 20, 20, Do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. The fear of God, that is the awesome respect of God, does this. It helps us to realize who he is. You are great. You are mighty. You are worthy of praise. You are eternal God. And therefore, I will watch my behavior. It will keep me from sinning. It keeps me in the right path. And in Proverbs, the fear of the Lord, it says, is the beginning of wisdom. If we want to know how to be wise, if we want to walk wisely through this life, then we need to have the fear of the Lord. It says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Whatever we do, let's ourselves grow in the fear of the Lord. Zechariah was struggling to receive the words of Gabriel, even though they were coming directly from God. We don't want to be in the same position. We want to acknowledge that God speaks truth and that we can receive that truth. And you know what? Zechariah was one, but we also see this pattern of God silencing people because he wants their attention. He did the same to Saul on the road to Damascus. Here's this man who's against God, who suddenly encounters God, and suddenly the presence of God comes on him, and you're going to be blind. And he was blind for the next three days. So we do see that those things happen uh, from time to time. But the worshippers outside, they're wondering, they're seeing, they're recognizing that something has happened. And as Luke says in Luke 1 verse 22, when he came out, this is Zechariah, he could not speak to them. They realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. And then Luke goes on to say in verse 23, when his time of service was complete, he went home. It amuses me to think that actually he had to carry on his full time of service, even though he couldn't speak. So like, what did he have to do? Everybody probably went to his service saying, well, he's not going to say much. Because he can't. He can just gesture at them. Finally, he goes home. 
And you can imagine that wonderful thrill of being with his wife. Luke 1, 23 says this, or 24 rather. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant. And for five months, she remained in seclusion. We know why. This was so precious that she didn't want to have anything go wrong with this baby. She took time out. She was protecting what was going on in her. But now she had become five months, she came out of seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she says. Untold, unspeakable joy. Every time she woke in the morning, she must have been thrilled. Uncomfortable, maybe. But she must have been thrilled to think that all of those years of pain have been wiped away by what God has done. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace. And that indicates just the, what had been going on in her life and all of the problems. He's taken away that disgrace. I can't imagine how wonderfully blessed she felt. And you know what? When the baby finally arrived, we see this joy also flowing out of Zechariah. And I guess those months of quietness had caused him to have time for reflection. And so he'd been able to look back over things, listen again to what the angel has said. And when he finally announces, because they, they ask, John has arrived, or the baby has arrived, they've now come to the baby naming ceremony. And they go to mum and they say, what are you going to call him? You know, they're expecting something from the family line. And he says, uh, she says, John. What? John? Where does that come from? That's not, that's not a priestly name. That's not a... They say, hey, we need to go and ask Zachariah this. So they go to Zachariah and they give him well, a bit of paper or whatever it was they wrote with in those days. Hey, what, what is this? What, what are we going to call this baby? And he writes, his name is John. And as soon as he puts that down, he's able to speak again. And now he can speak what comes out of his mouth. This is what comes out of his mouth. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets long ago. And then his attention turns to his son and he says, And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven, to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. Listen, as we come to this Christmas time, don't let your heart be filled with that sense of like, how can I receive this? What has he done for me? What is all this thing about Christmas for me? Instead, let's humble ourselves. Let's acknowledge that God is sitting on the throne and he is completely in control. I know it doesn't always look like that to us. But you see, for him, nothing is impossible. And when he speaks, what he speaks is the truth. When he says he loves you, despite your circumstances, he means what he says, and he says what he means. He cares about you. 
That is the God that we serve. And this Christmas time, let's not be asking questions about how can this be true, but instead let's say worship God to say, Father, you are more than able to do all things. And at this time, whether we understand it or not, we will give our praise and our adoration to you. Will you even help us? Lord, help our hearts to arise. Help us, oh God, to know you. Help us, oh God, to find your presence and your glory. Let your presence descend upon our homes and upon our lives. Let the magnificence of who you are come to us. Help us in our questions. Help us with our not knowing. Help us in our not understanding. Have mercy upon us, oh God, and come with your favor and grace afresh to strengthen us, to help us, to bless us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bromley Town Church. You are always welcome to visit us on a Sunday morning or join us again for more messages here online. You can also stay connected with us at www.bromleytownchurch.com.